Hello there, Brother Bradley here, or actually, as I prefer, just Bradley. I'm going to do a post at some point in the future uh, explaining where the uh, where the Brother Bradley comes from and why it's a bit tongue-in-cheek for a title for my uh, podcast, which is, again, essentially my sermons, which leads me to the point of this intro. So the sermon that you're about to listen to is uh, it's a sermon that I preached Sunday at my church at Beulah Baptist Church in Muscadine, Alabama. Uh, we preached, or we started a series on vision, and the first part of this series, the first step in this idea of vision, is mission. I went on a mission trip a couple of weeks ago to Guatemala. It was my second time going to this village. And so, in this sermon, I'm going to talk about uh, the first part of it. I'm going to talk about the trip, and I'm going to be showing pictures of uh, some of the things that we did and some of the things that, that happened. Uh, clearly, this is not a uh, a visual, a video podcast. It's it's audio, so you're gonna have to use your imagination. But uh, but you will hear me talking about uh, the the trip and some of the things that we saw and some of the people that we came across. Another thing you're gonna hear me mention that you may not be aware of is you're gonna hear me talk about uh, resources. In our church, about a year ago, was left in a state. It was a very uh, very sudden, very surprise event. Uh, we no none of us knew about it or expected it prior. Uh, but we were given an, uh, a sizable amount of money when someone passed away. And so as we look to the next several months to see what it is that God wants us to do and, and the direction God wants us to go in with regards to how to use these resources, I'm going to mention that in the sermon today. So you're going to hear me talk about pictures. Again, you're not going to see them. Just use your imagination. And you're also going to hear me several times mention resources. And that's specifically what I'm talking about is as we move forward, what are we going to do with the resources that God has given us? So uh, I hope you enjoy the sermon. I enjoy preaching it. There's a little bit of uh, probably a little bit too, too much transparency at one point in the sermon. You'll hear it. Uh, you'll notice it when you listen to it. Um, but it's one of those things that I just really felt like the church needed to hear me discuss and 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 I, I hope it I hope it resonates with you as as you maybe have dealt with the struggling with whether or not to go on a mission trip or whether or not you feel like you're called. Anyway, this intro has gone way too long. Sermon is a little bit longer than normal. It's about 46 minutes. Normally, my sermons are about 33. But again, there was a pretty big chunk of the sermon that was that was devoted to talking about the trip to Guatemala. So. Have a listen. If you like it, uh, leave a leave a review. I don't have any reviews or ratings or anything, so it'd be super cool to have one. And um, and I will uh, again um, just enjoy the sermon, and and we'll we'll meet again next time. Now, for some of us, when I mention the word vision, we immediately get a little bit, uh, like a little bit anxious. Um, I, I know this because I've preached on vision before, and I sense the anxiety uh, in, in our church. And, and part of it is, um, for some of us, what, what may make that word uncomfortable, uncomfortable for us um, is, um, is when we start talking about the future and plans and things that, that you know, moving in, in directions, it's like, we don't know that it will work, right? It may not work. Brad, you're talking about this stuff, and it may crash and burn. And what do we do then? And, and I understand that. Um, it, 
that, that's part of what messes with us. Another part of it is because we're sort of laser focused and, and, we, and this, is, this is a good thing. Please do not hear me at all being critical. But sometimes our personalities can have us so sort of laser focused that we're kind of focused on, on this and right now and what are we doing and, and like the next step. And I know like, for instance, um, I've got uh, one of my kids, I won't say which one, but one of my kids is like a list person, right? Any list people in here? Just go and confess. See, I knew. I was thinking, Nikki. Anybody else just confess before the Lord? A list person, right? We don't do step B until step A is done. And we don't come up with A through C until we've worked our way through F to make sure that we've got the stuff to do A through C, right? Does that, does that resonate with somebody else? Like, that's how, how some of us are wired. And again, that's perfectly fine. We need people like that to keep people like me from going bankrupt or getting lost in the woods, okay? So I, I, I completely understand that. But the problem that w- where that can be a drawback is when we start talking about vision and, and this, you know, throwing things against the wall and see what sticks or, you know, casting kind of these big ideas, what happens is, is for our list people, it, it instantly sort of makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Because you're thinking, oh, well, how are we going to do What's this going to look like? How, how are we going to? And, and those details can be overwhelming. And so it's easier sometimes to just sort of focus on what you know and what you can control. And, and, and again, and I've got uh, one of my kids is like that. Like, it, there's lists for everything. Um, I mean, she's made a list of, like, how much she's going to spend on her prom dress when she's in high school, how much she's going to put on a down payment for a house. Like, she's got her life planned out. There's a list. I have it in my house right now, this list that she's made. And I love that. That list makes me super anxious. Like, <laughs> I look at that list and I go, oh, my gosh, that is so, whoo, boy, there's a lot of details in that list. And the other thing I think that sometimes messes with us when we think about this idea of vision and, and, and this big picture, this, these futuristic kind of things is... Um, is some of us in this church, and again, this is not a bad thing, but just, just kind of reading the room and, 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 and just acknowledging the different personalities we have here. Another thing is, we, we, some of us are super pragmatic, you know? Like, well, if what we're doing is working, why change it? Um, I'm, I'm married to somebody who's wired that way. My wife is, well, if it's working, why, why do we need to change it? What, what, what's the purpose? You know, it's just fine. And another one of my daughters is like that. She's just, it's just, why change? Any, you know, it's working. And, and that's fine, again, for where you are. And so when I start talking or when somebody around you starts talking about vision and, and big picture and, you know, two years and five years and ten years down the road, there, there's, there's a little bit, again, and not a bad thing, but there's a little bit of just personality tension that comes into that, right? Well, why, do, why can't we just keep doing what we're doing? Because it's working. And, and so those things kind of mess with us when we, start talking, when we start talking about vision. And here's the problem with, with, with all of those things. Again, not that they're necessarily, they, they can certainly be strengths uh, in, in a lot of different um, environments, organizations. But they can become a problem because God has called us to a mission. He's given us a mission. And he's given us this call. And, and in this, there's vision that goes along with that. Uh, I, I didn't write down the scripture reference, but the scripture tells us that, uh, that where there is no vision, the people... Right. God, God has, and God has gifted certain, 
you know, some people, again, just like he's gifted all of us with our personalities and, and, and ways that we can honor and glorify him, but he has given some vision and some ability to, to kind of sort of forecast things and go, okay, and, and we need both of those. We need the vision for the people to, to really be looking kind of over the horizon and going, man, God can do some amazing things here, and, you know, there's potential and there's all these things, and then God needs the, the pragmatic and the list people to go, okay, well, here's how we do those things, but where there's tension is when we, when our personalities cause us to not do what God's calling us to do because of, of those, because we don't have all the answers. Does that make sense? And so, uh, so over the next couple of weeks, again, I want us to talk about vision because God wants us to have his vision for our church and not ours. Like God's got a call and a purpose and a ministry and a vision for Beulah. And we don't know what that is. We don't know what the, what the, what the outreach potential is. But we do know that, that if we're a church of Jesus Christ, then God has a purpose for us. Until he takes that, can't, that, until he, you know, takes that lampstand away, we have a purpose. Then we should have a vision. And so God wants us to have his vision for our church and not ours. God has given us resources to accomplish his vision. And God has given us resources that most churches could, could not imagine having. And we don't know why God has done this. It's just in his great sovereign plan that he chose Beulah to be the recipient of, of these resources. But we've got them. And, and God gave them to us for a reason, to do something with those things, to, to, to accomplish his vision for our church. And so again, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what this looks like and, and this morning, the first part of that, the first step of that, or the first aspect of this vision that I want you to be thinking about is missions. And so we had a chance a couple of weeks, um, uh, uh, week before last, we left to go to, uh, to Guatemala. Some, um, some of you went with us last year. And so we went back to the same village again, uh, Conrado de la Cruz. And, and this time when we went, we staffed a clinic. And here is what that clinic looks like. Some of these pictures are going to be in portrait mode, and they're going to be a little bit hard to see, and I apologize, but I'm going to try to get them posted uh, on Facebook maybe later this afternoon so you can scroll through them later if you want to see them. But this is the clinic. Now, this clinic, I want to explain something about this clinic to you. This clinic is a product of vision. Uh, in this community, and Barbara can tell you, and Amy can tell you, in this community, it's very, very, very poor. And Tristan, he was with us. Uh, they can, it is very poor. And most of the houses in this, in this village, in this community, are basically just kind of shacks. It's driftwood and, and tin roof material sort of put together to, to make a shelter, and that's what they live in. There is electricity, and Tristan can tell you how the electricity is run. It's a million wonders it works and doesn't catch everything on fire. Um, but there's dirt floors, and this is kind of a, just a, a sort of an interesting aside. I was telling my grandmother about the trip several days ago, and I said there were people, they have dirt floors, and there's dirt yards, and, and they're just they're sweeping the dirt. And my grandmother says, when I was a little girl, we used to sweep the yard. That's what we would do. We'd take sticks and bundle them together. And, and, so they, and, and so my grandmother immediately knew what, what I was talking about. And so that, you know, that's what they do. They typically, on doors, there's claws over the door frames to give them some semblance of privacy. Um, their sinks, kitchens are usually like outside, and they're washing dishes with like dirty water or rainwater or whatever, which is why uh, illness is so prevalent there. And so this clinic is put in this community because Gustavo, who's the, the guy that kind of organizes these trips, uh, Gustavo had a vision for a clinic in this community. 
because hospitals are a long way away. Medical care is really difficult for them to get to. And I've shared this with you before. If there's a kid uh, who, who gets, a, who gets a, and it, just a, um, a bacterial infection, the kids can get very, very, very sick because they can't get them to the doctor. There's no medical care close by. And if they could do all of those things, their families typically are supported off uh, about a salary of $11 a day for the husbands working in the banana plantations. And they don't have money for medicine. And so the kids just get sick, and they have these illnesses that just linger because there's no medical care. And so Gustavo, several years ago, had this vision for this clinic to be in this community to meet the needs of the people in this area. And so this clinic, and I'll, I'll, I don't have a, I was going to, I'm trying, I need to keep the, the sermon sort of condensed today. So I don't, I'm not going to show you all the pictures, but this clinic um, was, cost $110,000, uh, this thing is solid concrete, concrete walls, concrete roof. Um, you may not be able to see it, uh, but on the top left side of the building there, there's a 100-gallon water tank, and there's a little well that's over here, and it's, they've got a pump, and it's pumping water into that water tank, and that's how water gets into, uh, into the clinic. Um, they're running it off a generator because the government has not let them run power to the building yet. They're hoping that they've got a friend in the, in the local mayor's office that will give them the ability to have power but since they're doing good for the community. But even that is a luxury. And so they told us last year that if somebody in the village or in, in, in the area makes the mayor's office mad, then the mayor will just cut power to the whole town and nobody will have power. And they use, this, they use power to punish the people in the community. So they've got a generator that runs it. Um, there is no air conditioning in this building. It is just scorching hot. <laughs> There's not a not a fiber of insulation either it's just it's just hot um but there uh it's um and you'll see a, a picture too of the inside here in a minute but this was a vision and so gustavo had this vision there's a doctor in the states that i think financed most of the building in macedonia helped pay um helped pay for some of it as well but it just came from vision it came from this empty lot and gustavo had seeing this need in his com in this community uh that or these needs in this community that, that he believed God would be able to meet. And so they started building this clinic. Now where Beulah comes into this is last year we sent a team with Macedonia to, into this village. We met Pastor Oscar, who's the pastor in that area, the Baptist pastor in that area. And Pastor Oscar is kind of a traveling, almost like a circuit preacher. Uh, he's going to three different villages where he's discipling people and he's trying to raise up churches and, and, and he's just, and that's, that's his life. And so, um, and so Pastor Oscar is the kind of, is our, our contact on the ground there in Conrada. And so, um, so anyway, so they had this vision and, 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 and we went to, I'm sorry. And so we went down to, we went down there last year and, and, and did VBSs, which uh, most of you remember. And so this year we went back and we reconnected with them. But uh, part of what we did was, uh, was we gave, uh, they needed medicine for the, um, uh, for the clinic. And so, every, you know, they, they've got, they have to keep medicine coming in. And so uh, they anticipated spending a little over $3,000 in meds for the week. And so this is a picture of some of the meds that we got. It just, they get it, there's a medical warehouse um, in Guatemala City. And so they go and get that and they can get the medicine for cheaper. So anyway, so, so Beulah, we paid half of that. So we invested about 1600 bucks. Um, into medicine for the week for uh, for this clinic, and so that's what it, that's what it looked like in the boxes. And here we are. We look like a drug smuggling operation. There's just pills everywhere, all over this table. And so we're repackaging the pills. And you can see a little bit of Tom there on the left. Um, and so we're you know we're packaging them and getting them labeled. And and so Savannah Jackson was the nurse practitioner that went with us. 
And so she, she kind of gave us the list of the medicine based on what she expected to see in the community as far as what kind of illnesses. We gave a lot of antibiotics. We gave a lot of prenatal vitamins. A lot of vitamins in general uh, went out. And a fair amount of um, parasitic uh, worm medicine also went out. Turns out there's a lot of uh, particularly kids in this, in this area that have, um, that have worms. So... Uh, that, that's what it looked like, and that was our, our main investment, or, or outside of our mission trip investment, was, um, was, was the medicine. So here's the lobby of the, of the clinic, and, and, the, and Macedonia gave a little bit of extra money to get, put this beautiful tile in. It was absolutely gorgeous. Um, and so there's the lobby, and so the guy in the doorway there is Gustavo, and he's our point of contact, and he's the one that, organ he's the one that organizes the trip and gets his translators and drivers and makes sure that everybody's where they're supposed to be. And so he's showing us around the clinic um, at this point. And so, um, so again, I just wanted to sh show you a few pictures. There's a picture of me doing this. I think Morgan's got it in his phone. He didn't send it to me. I don't, maybe he will. But this is what it looked like. We would get everybody, once the, once the waiting area, the lobby got full, Morgan and I would have opportunity. We'd alternate opportunities to share the gospel. And so uh, over and over and over throughout the day, from Monday and Tuesday and part of Wednesday, that's what we would do. Everybody, the lobby would fill up. And, uh, and then we would share the gospel. We would get a clear gospel presentation and an invitation to follow Jesus. Um, and then after we would do that, then we would start calling the clients back. And then, so, and then they would have, they'd go in and go through the you know, blood pressure and temp stuff. And then the nurse practitioner would see them. Uh, this is a picture of the back of the clinic. There's a kind of a living area. They're going to use the clinic, and then they're going to build a mission house beside it so that when teams come in, they can start housing the teams um, in the mission house and in the clinic instead of the hotel that we stay in. This is about 45 minutes away. And the gentleman in the hat there who looks like he might be scolding me is Tony, and I can promise you he's not scolding me. Uh, I don't know what he's saying because he doesn't speak a bit of English, and my Spanish is rusty. But anyway, that's Tony, and you can see Tom in the background. They're actually getting ready to, uh, to feed everybody lunch. And I'm going to try to get through this and still preach a sermon, but you need to know what we did. So this is Savannah, and she's, um, there's uh, Amalia, who's on the back side of the table there by the fan. Amalia is one of our translators and also helps organize the stuff. And so that's, uh, they would go in, and they'd see Savannah, and she'd make diagnoses. Uh, and then she would send them over to the pharmacy, and there's Tom. I hate it Tom's not here. I, um, I was expecting him to be here. Uh, but anyway, so that's what the pharmacy side looked like, basically metal shelves with medicine. And, um, and so... Uh, Savannah would write down what was going on and what they needed, and they'd take it to Tom, and then Tom and his team would, uh, would fill, the, would fill the, the, the prescription and give them the medicine that they need. This is Tomas. So Tomas is about 15. Uh, I met him last year, and uh, I, I remembered him pretty well. He remembered me vividly. Uh, and last year, he spoke three words in English. One was son. I don't remember what the other two words were, but there was no English at all. And my Spanish, I can speak enough Spanish to function, but it's, it's a little rusty. Uh, so anyway, but Thomas's uh, uh, English got better over the year. And so we had a conversation. Morgan was able to, to lead Thomas to Christ. And so, uh, so Thomas was one of the ones that got saved. And he's been, we've been messaging back and forth. And a super, super nice guy uh, who really seems to, uh, to want to know how to follow Jesus and grow in his faith. This is David. Uh, David, is, um, David is disabled, and nobody knows exactly what's going on with him, but we do know he can hear. We did confirm that this time, but he cannot speak. 
And so he can, you know, he can at least hear what you're saying, uh, but, but again, he can't communicate uh, verbally. And so he's kind of the kid in the area that just everybody just sort of takes care of, and he's always around. It didn't matter where we were, uh, if, if, what part of the town we were in, we were going to see David. As a matter of fact, uh, Monday when we went to the clinic, he was at the edge of town waiting for us. We have no clue how we knew we were there, but we got right to the edge of the city, and he's there waving at us and blowing kisses as we, as we drive by. Uh, last year, Graham went with us. Graham is, um, was a young guy, and Graham gave David his Crocs. And so Graham's mom went this year. Uh, she, um, Graham didn't get to go, so his mom, Diana, went with us. And so they introduced Diana to, to David, and they, they, they were able to communicate to David that that was Graham's mother, the guy that gave him the shoes last year. Uh, David has put the shoes in his room. He won't wear them because he's so proud of them, he doesn't want to mess them up. And so he's running around town barefoot, and he has a pair of good Crocs that he just, he loves them. And so he hugged uh, Diana, and, just, and she just wept when she found this out, right? She, just, she was just a, a weepy person uh, when, she, when she realized this. Um, but David, uh, David ended up getting, um, we found out David also has worms. And so we were able to give David some medicine, and hopefully somebody will be able to continue to give him medicine and hopefully get that, um, get that medical issue taken care of. But uh, sweet kid, he's going to hug you every time he sees you. Um, he's, just, he's just a happy, sweet kid. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, again, that's David. So in, not, in addition to doing the clinic stuff, we also went to a couple of different homes uh, because the person that was, you know, they couldn't get to the clinic for us to help them. And so uh, this is one of those, um, one of those uh, people, this, uh, this guy that Savannah's working on his foot. He's 23 years old. And he's got some birth defects, his feet or have some kind of deformity uh, anyway. And so walking is difficult for him. But he had, a, um, he had a surgery not long ago, and the doctor accidentally severed the wrong nerve and caused him to lose, uh, uh, lose any sensation or, or movement in his left leg. So he's paralyzed in his left leg. And so, um, he, again, and he's a, he's, there, there's a significant disability. He's developmentally disabled. And so, um, so he had a crutch that he had fashioned out of a, out of a tree, tree limb, and, and he can't move his leg, and so he would just drag his, his leg in the dirt, which caused constant uh, holes in, in, his, in his foot, which were getting infected. And then he would, um, and this is a little bit more detail than you probably need to know, but, but I want you to, to, you know, to know what, what we're, what's going on there. Uh, he would also, um, he, he can't make it to the bathroom a lot, so he urinates on himself, and it, it goes down and keeps that wound in his foot infected. And it's, it, it, by the time we got there, it was, it was really, really infected. It was really bad. So Savannah went, she cleaned up the wound and uh, dressed it and showed his mom what to do and gave him antibiotics and, and talked, them through, talked them through that. And so what we discovered was, or what we realized was if we could get him a wheelchair, he could be mobile and keep his feet out of the dirt, and hopefully it would help him with his feet and, and, and make things better. So we were able to just, on our own, collect enough money to buy a wheelchair for him. And so they had to go to Guatemala City to get the wheelchair. And then Tomas sent me this picture just a couple of days ago um, where, he, uh, where he has gotten the wheelchair. His foot is much less swollen than it was uh, when we first got there. And so that was a need that we were able to practically meet. This is the trip. This is the group that came down uh, this past week, and, and their, their team leader is, uh, is praying with, with him and his family. And so in addition to the medicine and in addition to, to sort of the things that we had anticipated, again, we were able to, there were some needs that we were able to meet there um, on the ground just, uh, you know, almost in real time. 
And not that this is all about me, but I did want to show you again just a few more pictures. And so the little girl on the right is Genesis, and I cannot remember the girl on the left. I wasn't around her quite as much, but these were a couple of the kids that, that are at the church, and they're always at the church, and uh, they're, they're just the most loving and energetic kids, and, and they, just, you know, they just love you, and, um, and I'll get back to that in a minute. And the last picture I'm going to show you is, um, that's me and Miss Margot. I suspect Miss Margot is the oldest woman in the village, uh, I, I figure, and, um, and, and she's 75. And so Miss Margot, she speaks no English, um, and she just kind of, she's just like the village grandmother, right? She just kind of always shows up, and she's always just there, and she's always just kind of involved. And so there were a couple times where uh, we, uh, particularly when we were doing the, the home visits for the, for the medical stuff, we... Um, we're getting in the truck and or getting in the van, and then all of a sudden, here comes Miss Margot. And so we're like, "Well, you know, is Miss Mar? Does, what's Miss Margot doing? Well, she's just here. Well, does she know where we're going? No. Does she care? No. Like, <laughs> you know, she just hops in the van and just goes, and you know, just wherever. And so she went with us uh, to, you know, to these different houses as we were going around. And, um, and so just a, just a really sweet woman. She cried and cried when we left. Most of them cried when we left, especially uh, for the, you know, like, um, you know, the, because we, our group saw them last year and had built some relationships. And, and our folks at Beulah, who went last year, have continued relationships through, um, uh, through that and continue to keep in touch. Facebook, you know, for all, for all that's bad about Facebook, it really is a fantastic way to keep in touch with people, especially you know, 20 years ago, you, once you left, you just wouldn't have any contact until the next year, right? But because of Facebook and technology, you know, we're able to keep in touch with these guys. Um, so, what did we accomplish? We saw approximately 400 patients in the clinic. There was 400 uh, people that, we, that were diagnosed for, uh, for various things. Uh, in that, nine people were led to Christ. Again, this is through gospel presentations to the group. This is through one-on-one -on -one conversations that we were able to have um, with people. Approximately 500 people, including kids, heard the gospel. Uh, the 400 were actual patients. There were, uh, there were family members that came in. There were kids that were there. And, and everybody that came into that clinic heard a clear gospel presentation. And so we were able to share uh, the gospel with 500, roughly 500 people. Um, I did not take any pictures of this particular situation. We comforted one family. Um, we got there. They, they, we, got the, we got noticed that there was another family that needed us to come by. And so we show up, and there's a woman laying on a cot on, their, on, her, on, her, front step, on her front porch. And, uh, and so Savannah initially said, I think her sugar is bottomed out. So we, we go in, and Savannah starts checking her out, asking questions. And... Um, and she had had a, um, apparently the night before, she was playing with her grandkids and was, everything was normal. And something happened between the night before and this morning where she's not responding to any pain or stimulus. And she's just laying there. Um, she's alive, but it, it does not look good. And so Savannah, after uh, checking her out, um, came to the conclusion that she, at some point in the night, had had a stroke. Um, and she had aspirated on some of her food, and so Savannah looked at me and said, I don't, she may not be alive bef before we leave this house right now. Like, she's, she's in the last stages. And so we, um, of course, we, you know, we had to share that with the family, and so we were able to, you know, to just kind of comfort them and hug them and, and try, to, try to love on them and, and just as, as, best, uh, as best we could. 
uh, in that very, uh, that very sad situation. But again, that, that's what happens. They just, there's, no, there's no way to get her to medical care. And so it's, when something like that happens, it just, you know, they, it's just, that's, just, that's just their reality. We did provide a wheelchair for a family, which I talked about. And this is a big one. And this is the thing that really that hit me last year and really struck me again this year is we were able to encourage a local pastor and a local church. And so it means so much for Oscar to Oscar for those of us outside of his area to come in and spend time with him and spend time with his church and take opportunities to share the gospel and give him a chance to just sit back and breathe and, and maybe maybe interact with people on a one-on-one level. Because again, the guy is essentially, he's pastoring in three different villages and that's what his life is, is it's just day after day. And these villages, Amy and Tristan and Barbara, y'all can tell them, the villages are not particularly close together. There's a little bit of a drive in between. And so so, uh, so Macedonia, they support uh, Pastor Oscar. They, uh, they, they give him um, a certain number of dollars a quarter because, again, the living, kind of the average salary there is $11 a day. And so uh, Pastor Oscar pastored for a long time while also trying to work in the banana plantations or trying to do other things. And so he's got enough support now, particularly with Macedonia. And then I think some other churches are helping a little bit that they're able to, to meet his family's needs so that he can devote his, his time uh, to pastoring. And so in one village that, that he's pastoring in, they, they had a church building, and then it, I don't know what happened, but they can't use it anymore. And, uh, and so they're trying to find another place to meet, and they don't have a place, and so they're, they're, they're kind of cramming up in people's houses until they can figure something out. In another village, the, the, the culture's changed a little bit, and they don't really want Pastor Oscar there, and so he's trying to find inroads into this village again. Um, a lot of the guys that he had mentored and discipled that he had raised to be church leaders have, have passed away, and, and so he's, he's lost those guys, the, those guys that, were, that were support. And so anyway, um, so Pastor Oscar has, the, has really a, an enormous burden on, on his shoulders for, this, for these communities that God has given him to pastor. And so for us to go, it's a huge encouragement for him and for the people in this church to know that we uh, would show up, that we care enough to show up to help them to meet their needs uh, and to, um, to encourage them. So that's Guatemala. Um, I'm going to try to preach in the next seven minutes try to get the point across of what I think I need to get the point across. If we have to stay a minute or two late, I'm sure you'll forgive me. You're a pretty nice group of folks. Acts chapter 1. Our, our key sermon, our, our key uh, scripture is Acts 1.8. And most of you know this, but I wanted to read several verses to you, and then we're going to just dive in and, and get to the point, um, and, then we'll, um, and then we'll be done. So Acts chapter 1, I want to read verses 1 through 14, and they'll be on the screen. And if you've um, got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. And this is what it says. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom to Israel at this time? And I love that question because it just shows just the disciples still have not, they just still had not gotten it. So he's telling them what's going to happen. Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know 
times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. A couple more verses. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, there's a couple of things about the story that I love. One is Jesus gives them this promise that the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to give them the Holy Spirit just as he had promised them before. And when the Holy Spirit comes, they'll have power and they'll be his witnesses. And then there's this promise. But I love that as Jesus goes up into heaven, the disciples are just standing there looking at the sky. They're just standing there, just gazing. And then this angel shows up and says, what are these angels show up and says, what are you doing? Why are you just, he's coming back the same way he left. Why are you still here gazing at the sky? And it's almost like what they're telling the disciples is, look, go do something. Why don't just stand here like Jesus is gone. You know what's going to happen. Go, go do something. And they do. They go and they meet together and they're continually united in prayer and they're praying and they're continually praying until the Holy Spirit comes. And then most of you know the story of what happens after that. So why go? Why go on mission? Why is that something that we need to do? Why is that not something that just Brad should do or just our missions team, our missions coordinator should do? Why should I go on mission? One is because we're called to go. We're called to go on mission. And again, we saw that uh, way back in early in chapter, um, in chapter 1, uh, verse 8, when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say you can be or you should be or if you feel like it or if your finances or if this or if the weather's good or if it's in Hawaii or if you, you, know, if you don't have a, an excuse, whatever. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And you've heard this many times before. And a lot of missions uh, talks will say that Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria is the ends of the earth. To look at it, the geographical areas, Jerusalem is your local area, and then it goes out, on out into the other ends of the earth. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You also can look at it like as people groups. Jerusalem is people that you know and you're comfortable with and familiar with. Samaria is the people that you've got nothing in common with. You don't speak their language. You may not even really like them very much. And to the ends of the earth is everybody else. And so you can look at it like it's geographical or you can look at it like it's, like it's people groups. But whatever it is, um, we're called to go on mission. And Jesus says that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses into all of these places, into all of these people. It, again, it's not a suggestion. It's Jesus almost, it's almost like Jesus is just assuming that you're going to be my witnesses. There's the assumption that we're going to be on mission. Now, I understand, and I'll probably say this again in a minute, but I understand that not everybody can physically go, and that's fine, and I'm not, you know, if you've got a, you know, if you're, you know, there's, there's health issues or, or mobility issues, that, that's fine, but as a general rule for most of us, we're called to go on mission, 
that's, that's it. It's just, we're just called to do it. That's what Jesus has told us to do. We're equipped to go. Jesus in Acts 1.5, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. And then in uh, Acts 1.8, Jesus says that, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so it's the Holy Spirit that gives us everything that we need to be on mission and to go on mission. Well, I don't have, I'm not equipped, I'm not gifted at, I'm not strong in. None of that matters. Because Jesus has told us that we're called to go. And he's promised us that the Holy Spirit will give us everything that we need to make that happen. The Holy, and, and we've seen this. We saw this last year. We had a, a kind of a later addition to the trip. And we, kind of, you know, we have a missions budget every year. And, and, and so and it's not a problem. We, we, can make it, you know, we can make it work. It's not a big deal. But just out of nowhere, there's a random offering for $1,500 one Sunday that just covered the entire cost of that later addition to the mission trip. And, and it was just one of, those, one of those reminders of God saying, look, if I'm calling you to do something, I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to provide a way for you to go. Billy Graham said this, the will of God will not take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. And if God's calling us to do something, he's going to figure out a way to make it work. He's going to meet those needs. And that's the, something that Jesus was promising when he told them that they would have power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. They would have the ability to do what it is that God is calling them to do. But I can be just very gut level honest with you, and I probably shouldn't say this, but it, I told you it's just family, right? We're just family sitting around the table talking. If I could be just brutally honest, there was a part of me that was not super excited about going this year. I was tired, had a lot going on. You know, I, it just, I, I just, I thought, God, you know, I, I, I know I need to go, but, you know, I, there was just a little part of me that was just not completely excited. I just, I knew it was going to be uncomfortable. I knew it was going to be hot. And look, this trip to Guatemala, it's not, an, it's not an impossible trip, but it is not an easy trip. Those three, Amy, Barbara, and Tristan can tell you, this is not a vacation mission trip, right? You know, you see some of those. We're going to the Bahamas to share the gospel. Woo, go Jesus. And, you know, and that, that's fine. People in the Bahamas need, need to know about Jesus. But this is one of those trips that, like, it's going to, it's going to test you. You know, there's a, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of walking. In that clinic, again, we had box fans, and they were doing a great job at just circulating hot air, right? Just hot, sticky, humid air. And we were in front of those things, like, you know, just trying. And, and so it, it's not, it, you know, it's not a complete, it's not a particularly comfortable trip. Um, yeah, I knew, and this is, the, some of you will understand this, I knew there was me and Tom from Beulah, and then, uh, and then eight others from Macedonia. Well, I knew Morgan and Rita. I didn't know the other six, and so the introvert in me is a little bit unsettled because I'm going to be spending a week with six people I've never met before. Anybody else I might freak out besides just me? Just confess it before the Lord right now? Yeah, it does. It kind of, you know, it's kind of scary. And you go, well, you know, and, 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 and then when, and you know this, when, you, when people get uncomfortable, what happens? They tend to get a little bit unpleasant, right? And, 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 you know, it's all of these different things. And I'm sitting here thinking about this going, oh, God. It's, and I'm almost, you know, there's just part of me. And, I, again, I shouldn't tell you, but I'm not going to lie to you. You know, just not just, you know, I'm just like, God, I, I don't really know. And, 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 and it just was over and over and over. God's going, but I've called you to go, and I've equipped you to go. And if I didn't want you to go, I'd slam the door in your face. I'd stop you from going if I didn't want you to go. Okay, God, well, then here we go. If you want me to go, then I'm going to go because I'm called to go. And not only am I called to go, but I'm equipped to go. But also, I'm the pastor of a church. 
And if I'm not willing to get on a plane and give up a week of vacation and go to another country and tell people about Jesus, I cannot expect you to do the same thing. If I have an opportunity to go and I don't go, what kind of example am I setting for you? So all of these things are going through my mind, and I end up going. It was a great trip. Was it hot? Yep. Was it uncomfortable? Yep. Were there some personality things when people got hot and uncomfortable? Yep. None of that matters because we're there for God's glory. We're there for Christ to be exalted. We're there to meet the needs of the people in this community that God has gifted us to meet those needs. And he's allowed us the opportunity to go. So we're called to go. We're equipped to go. And we're expected to go. And so I want to read a verse to you uh, really quickly. Um, in uh, let's see here, Matthew chapter 28. Verse 19, verses 19 and 20, Jesus tells his disciples, Go, therefore, and make disciples of Cleburne County. Go, therefore, and make disciples of Harrelson County. Go there and make disciples of people in your house. No. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the Age. And so in Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus telling his disciples that, when, that they're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit and they will be his witnesses. And in Matthew chapter 28, is telling his disciples, you go. And, and that, that word there, go, it's an imperative. It's almost like go with an exclamation mark. You go and go and do these things. Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And Jesus, just like he did in Acts chapter 1 with the disciples when he said the Holy Spirit is going to give you power and when this happens, you're going to do these things. Jesus gives the promise in Matthew chapter 28 that I am with you always to the end of the age. Because again, God's, God's will will not take us where God's grace cannot sustain us. And Jesus is not going to tell you to go somewhere that he's not going to turn around and meet whatever needs it is that you have to do that trip or to make that trip. And so, again, physically, some of you can't go. Some of you, some of you in here are saying, well, Brad, I'm older, I'm, you know, I've, I've got this, I've got health issues, whatever, and that's perfectly fine. And here's what I love about the disciples. It took them a little bit of, uh, took them a little bit of, of, um, of, of, of maneuvering, but in verses 9 through 11, once again, what we see is, we see the disciples, they're looking up into the sky. Jesus is gone. He's already told them what's going to happen. These angels show up and say, what are you doing? Why are you just looking? You know what's going to happen. He's coming back the same way he left. And so what does Scripture tell us? It tells us that they all got together and they went to Jerusalem and they were continually united in prayer. They didn't know what to do, right? Jesus is God. He's given them sort of this almost cryptic sort of thing. What are we supposed to do? Well, they did something. And you may be here and you may not be able to go on mission, but you can do something. You can give. You can pray. You can you know, if, if we've got a team that's gone, you can call their family and go, hey, do you guys need anything? How can we help while your family member is gone? What do you need? Like, you can do something. Uh, I, one year, uh, for high, when I was in youth ministry, I found a book, and I gave it to all of our graduating seniors, and the name of the book was Just Do Something. You know, and that was the point of the book was do something for Jesus. You may not have, you may not change the world. You may not have this big thing, but, but do something. And so the scripture tells us that the disciples did something. Uh, Morgan uh, gave this, uh, kind of repeated this idea over and over and over through, through the trip, uh, this point in experiencing God. 
uh, where uh, one, of the, one of the points is, see where God is at work around you and then join him in his work. And I read that when I was, when I was a teenager. And that profoundly impacted the way that I viewed ministry and the way that I viewed missions, the way that I viewed everything related to faith. Because what I, what I discovered was God's always at work around me. God's always doing something. And instead of me trying to do something and going, God, bless me in what I'm doing, God wants us to see where he's already working, and he wants us to jump in and join him in that work. And there are times where I've jumped into ministries, and I got in, and I went, oh, no, I may not was supposed to have done this thing because maybe I wasn't, you know, maybe it wasn't necessarily what God wanted me to do. But here's the thing. Like, I would rather be wrong by jumping into doing something that God's doing and, and it not be the right thing than be wrong by sitting on my couch and miss the opportunity to do something for God. You know, if God doesn't call me to go on mission and I kind of miss it a little bit and I go on a mission trip and it may not necessarily be the trip that God exactly wants me to be on, here's the thing, I'm just going to trust God to just slam the door on me. You know what, God, if you don't want me to go to Guatemala, then you stop me because you've called me, you've equipped me, you're expecting me to go, so if an opportunity comes open, even if I'm not super excited about it, I'm going to go, and if you don't want me to go, then the test is on you to stop me from going. Because I would rather be wrong in that and doing something than sit on my couch and miss every opportunity that God has for me because I've, I've, I've analyzed myself out of it. And that's what happens a lot of times for us, right? We, we, we experience this paralysis by analysis. You know, we, we think about it and we go, well, I can't. Well, it'll be. Well, and it's not just missions, it's anything. Well, and, and what happens is we talk ourselves and we analyze ourselves and we, we just keep going over numbers and all this stuff. And that's all important. I'm going to talk about that probably next week about making preparations and, and, and laying things out. But what happens is so many times we'll, we'll analyze the point to where we end up just not doing anything. And then we just sort of sit back and then we miss what it is that God wants to do in us and through us for his glory. So, here's the challenge, and I'm done. We're going to go about 10 minutes, 15 minutes over today, not too bad. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to challenge you in a couple of different ways. But the, the biggest challenge, the overall theme, the, the point that I want to get across to you over the next couple of weeks is what is it that God wants us as a church to do, and what is it that God's calling you specifically to do to further the vision that he's given us, to further the mission and the call that he's given this church. Because everything that we do from this point on, particularly with the resources that he's given us, should be for the purpose of fulfilling his vision for Beulah. Not mine, not yours. There's a lot of, I'm sure, there's a lot of pet projects out here. A lot of things that, you know, if I ask, you know, 30 of y'all what you want to do, I have 30 different answers for what we need to do with this money, right? That's fine. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of that. But the challenge is going to be, God, help me to get a glimpse of your vision. And God, when I think about vision, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I don't know how it's all going to work. I may end up getting head over, you know, in over my head on something. It, it may, you know, in my mind, it may not work. It, it may not, God, it may not be what I want to happen with this money. And God, you know I want this because I've been wanting this for generations. And, and my challenge is that we start praying, God, give me a glimpse of your vision for this church. What can I do in my life, and what can we do co corporately as a, as a body of believers with the resources that you've given us to, in, to incorporate and, and, to, and to, uh, to, to lean into and, and to actualize the vision that you have for Beulah? Because I'm telling you, just a very, very short, very small glimpse 
We spent $1,600 on medicine, and we dramatically changed lives halfway across the world. Now, are there people in Cleveland County and Tallapoosa County that need, that need help? Absolutely there are. But I guarantee there's a whole lot more churches in these areas that are given around here and a whole lot less churches that are meeting needs in Conrada de la Cruz and uh, La Esquinta Department there in, in southwest Guatemala. But that's what you did. You're able to send people down there and you're able to meet needs, meet real physical needs. You're able to meet spiritual needs because of your giving. And one of the things that I would like to see, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm done, I, I got to quit. But one of the things that I would like to see us do is I would love to see us take some of this money and invest it in such a way that we never have to raise another dime for missions or education. If we got somebody in the church who wants to go to the University of Mobile to, to, get a, to, 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 to go into ministry, then you know we may not be able to pay all of it, but, but we can have scholarships set up. If you've got a pastor that comes in the future and they want to go to seminary and, and, and that's something that God's called them to do, then we've got money set aside that every year is coming in that we can give them, that we can help to offset that, to train people to do ministry and to train people to do missions. But not only that, but also so that missions, so that we, so that we can use our operating budget to do what we need to do here and, and to keep the church operating and to do whatever. And we know that every single year we've got this, no, this number of dollars coming in that's just set aside for missions so we never have to raise another dime of missions so that we just it's just there so we know it's there so that if somebody wants to give above and beyond hey we can buy medicine right we can buy a wheelchair we can meet practical needs because we don't have to worry because this this is already set up and that's what and, and when i mention vision that's what i'm talking about is these these things where where we look at okay what does this look like five years and ten years down the road what does it look like what how encouraging would it be to have something set up to where you know that you know that for the rest of Beulah's existence, missions is just paid for? God has provided a way for anybody that wants to go on a mission trip can go, and you don't have to worry about finances. All you have to worry about is just following the call of God. That's what I'm talking about with vision, and that's my challenge. So we're going to have a time.